0: Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, a co-production of EWTN Radio and SpiritualDirection.com, where we provide you with a spiritual haven of rest and explore the riches of the wisdom of the saints and the path to union with God.
1: This is Dan and Stephanie Burke. Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, your radio haven of rest.
0: Your hermitage of the heart
1: your monastery of the mind where we lift our hearts and minds to heaven to draw on the wisdom of the saints, the uh, teaching, the longstanding teaching and tradition of the church to help us understand how to navigate this uh, challenging life and God be praised. um, We're living in some of the most difficult times uh, in, in the church, at least in recent history, last few hundred years anyway. But I think what's beautiful about these kinds of times is that with the challenges, God always equips his people to face those challenges, always equips those people to face those challenges. And and it's the way he equips them is not always the same as he's always done. And this is certainly the case with marriage and the family, which is, of course, uh, in ruins, in our culture in our time but god be praised the lord has given a very special gift to father robert altier and allowed him to be the conduit and i and i mean the words i'm using are very specific and purposeful allowed him to be the conduit of what i believe is a, a divine inspiration for this book and i and i'm not saying that uh, in a hyperbolic fashion or, or you know, as a, a, a turn of phrase, I do believe that the Lord has allowed Father Altier to be a conduit of divinely inspired content for this book. And, you know, we talked about it in the last show, which you can find out, you'll find all these shows out at spiritualdirection.com, that uh, Cardinal Burke vetted the book in detail because of this claim, uh, of this, of the way the book came about. Uh, and so, uh, one of the one of the best theologians, best minds in the church, read it, reviewed it, and endorsed it glowingly. And so, we're very comfortable, and we already were, but even before that, but even more so comfortable to say, this is a divine gift for men and women who are heading into marriage, men and women who are struggling with a broken marriage, uh, men and women who are looking to understand how do I live out this thing that I've deeply desire uh, to be glorious holy good beautiful true but have no experience of that or only glimpses of it uh, God has given us this great gift in this time to help us to understand that reality so welcome to the show father Altier
2: well thank you Dan Stephanie great to be here and and I um just to re-echo your your sentiments I point out to people this is our lady's book but she had to have somebody to write it. Obviously, she could have done whatever she wanted. And so I always use the analogy, when our Lord rode into Jerusalem uh, on the donkey, if the donkey would have thought that the hosannas and the palm branches being laid on the road were for him, he's pretty stupid. And uh, <laughs> So I'm, I'm not stupid enough to think that just because my name is the one on the book that it's, it's mine. It's not. It's Our Lady's book. And, and so I truly believe myself, that this is heaven's intervention, initial intervention, in in this work of of trying to, uh, well, not trying, but because heaven doesn't have to try, but of of healing marriages, of healing human beings, uh, and and that's that's what what this is all about, and and so so the credit goes to heaven. I'm just as you said, the instrument that uh, was chosen to do this for whatever reason, because. He couldn't find anyone worse is really what it comes down to.
0: (laughs) Well, we think you're wonderful. So that's that's our two cents. But um, Father, go back to the main point in the first chapter in the beginning that you want to make sure that people hear about uh, just how important who we are is our, our nature. So let's go. Let's start there.
2: So just a reminder that you know, in the first chapter, we talk about the creation of Adam and Eve. Uh, we look at both uh, the first and second chapters, and we also look at what happened to them in the fall. Uh, and and so, so God created us in His own image and likeness. That is the immense dignity that every single person on the face of the earth has. Um, later in the book, it, it gets to the point of being baptized and what happens with that. But this point of being made in the image and likeness of God is true for every single person on the face of the earth, baptized or not. And what happened with Adam and Eve, when they fell, they disobeyed God, it messed up everything. However, it did not change their nature. And that's the piece that people absolutely must understand. Uh, our society has been just imbued with this idea that we are worthless, that, that we are objects, that we are nothing. Uh, and, and God looks at it exactly the opposite of that. Uh, and the only, well, not the only way, but the best way that I've found to be able to point this out to people is that when Satan fell, his nature did not change. His will is 100% against God. That has been completely changed, in his will but his nature is still the way God created it. He's still an angel. He's the fallen angel now, but he still has an angelic nature that did not change. So if Satan's nature didn't change when he fell, certainly human nature did not change when Adam and Eve fell. And so we are born with original sin. We have our own sins. We have the darkening of the mind and the weakening of the will. We don't have the integrity that Adam and Eve had. All those things that we can look at But that does not change the reality of who we are. We are still made in the image and likeness of God. And the reality, when God looked at his creation after he created humanity, he saw that it was very good. That is the reality of human nature. So good, in fact, that Jesus, who is God, took our nature to himself. And that was not anything that violated him and so obviously he could not take on a nature that was corrupted, that was no good, that was that was bad. Uh, he took our human nature to himself, and and so again, another point of proof, if you want to look at it that way, of just how good God sees us. So dignity is still intact,
1: uh, sinful, broken, you know, whatever it is that we are. Um, let's move into the second chapter and talk about God is love, and what does that mean? What is love, and what does it mean in our relationships? Like true love, because obviously society mm-hmm. and culture have totally redefined love to mean what I like, essentially. Right. It's what I what I like or what I want, but that's not what authentic love is.
2: No, there there are, there are differing kinds of love. In fact, the Greeks have four different words for love. Uh, in English, we have one. And, and so we would have to put adjectives in front of it to be able to describe what kind of love we're talking about. But the kind of love for which we are created and the kind of love for married people that actually St. Paul talks about and our Lord talks about is the Greek word agape, which is the highest form of love, the way that God loves us. So if we look at it that way, we're not talking about, oh, I love ice cream cones or I love puppies or whatever. And it certainly is not, you know, in what our society has done when it talks about making love, which is meaning simply something that is sexual. But it's talking about people who aren't married, who it's not an act of love. It's a sinful act at that point. And it's exactly the opposite of love. And, and so, again, the confusion then. So your question is, is right on target. And, and so my favorite definition of love is doing always what's best for the other. It is selfless. So selfishness is the opposite of love. And so the, the goal of our Christian life is to become selfless, to truly love, to be what we were created to be. And we are made in the image and likeness of God. St. John says it as simply as can possibly be. In uh, what the, the seventh verse of the fourth chapter of the first letter of St. John, he says, God is love, period, nothing else, God is love, and you are made in the image and likeness of God, that means you are made to love, you are made to be loved, and you are made ultimately to be transformed into love, so when you talk about the spiritual life, and the growth, and the spiritual life, and, and all that, that happens, yeah, you know, we have in Saint Teresa, we, we get the point of the, the, the simple union, then the conforming union, then the transforming union, the soul is transformed, it becomes love, and, and so that's, that's what, what this is about. That again is what married life is about. It is two people who make a vow to love one another. And that doesn't mean have happy feelings about one another. That certainly doesn't mean gush, which is what a lot of people in our society, you know, oh, you know, well, that's not what love is. You know, that's an emotion. Love is a virtue, not an emotion. Emotions change, but virtues remain the same. And, we see that so clearly in, in our blessed Lord. You know, he did nothing but love. That's all that he did. And and so look at as he's being rejected. Look at him as he's carrying the cross. Look at him as he's being crucified. He continued to love. So obviously he wasn't feeling good. The emotions weren't really high, obviously, at that point. And yet he continued to forgive he continued to seek only the good of the other and 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 gave himself up for us. And, and so that's the kind of love that married people are called. It's the kind of love every human person is called to. But in marriage, especially, uh, when I when I look at at the fact that that these couples make a vow to love one another, I maintain <sighs> married people should be the experts in love. That's what you vowed to do. And and so so in that sense, married people should be showing to the rest of the world what this love is and ultimately what we're called to in heaven. It's a pre it's a prefiguration of heaven, it's a preparation for heaven. And so so that's that's what we want to want to strive for. So we look at it and say, God is love and God made us in his image and likeness, therefore we are made to love, we are made to be loved.
0: Absolutely, you know, and and when we talk about that, and we can carry this into the second segment, is society tells us that you know love is a feeling and it's about me, you know, mm-hmm. my opinions, my thoughts, my feelings, what makes me happy, and this perfect selflessness flips that completely on its head, and true love, God the Father's love, wants to restore. He wants to draw in to himself, rebuild, build up, nurture, cherish, and then send forth in freedom, Mm. right? And that's what's so beautiful about love, his love, true love, is that as married couples, we want to gather one another together, restore, build up, help, nourish, cherish, so that they understand their dignity and their worth and they can go free in freedom to be who they're called to be. So when we get back from the break, uh, let's continue this and then move into our next chapter of what God has joined.
3: Discover more and apply today at avala-institute.org.
1: Welcome back to Divine Intimacy Radio, your radio haven of rest. This is Dan and Stephanie Burke. We're here with Father Robert Altier with a beautiful new book on marriage, God's Plan for Your Marriage, and Exploration of Holy Matrimony, from Genesis to the Wedding Feast of the Lamb, put together by Sophia Institute Press. So you can get it out there. Go ahead Go order it. Order it for yourself. Dr. Bob Schutz says if you're a therapist or if you help people in marriage prep or if you're involved in anything related to marriage, you should get it. We th- and I think he thinks and we think uh, anyone who's married, considering being married, trying to recover a broken marriage, this book will give you hope and wisdom and direction and guidance uh, into the. I think the joy and and the uh i don't know joyful purification that god has for us all in marriage so the the next chapter chapter three what god has joined uh, talks about the union of persons but there's a difference between the union of persons with respect to natural union or sacramental union and i think you've i think i've heard you said this chapter if, if if there's any that you really want to pay attention to, not that you should ignore anything else, it's what 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 the Lord's revealed here.
2: The the point in 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 this chapter, as as I would look at it, when I sent this to uh, a couple of theologians and asked them to look at it, I said chapter three is the make it or break it one. You know, so it it'll talk about you know reasons why a person can not be married and look at some of the canonical things and so on. But then it gets to really the heart, and the main point in this book, and that is, what has God joined? That is the real question. Uh, and If you go back to Genesis, it says that, that, that the man shall leave his, his mother and father and join himself to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Jesus brings that up also in Saint Matthew and Saint Mark's gospel, and, and talks about that, but then he adds a little phrase And that is, what God has joined, let no man put asunder. That is the only place in the entire Bible that that phrase comes up. It is something so important that Jesus himself put that there to say something about marriage. And the question is, what has God joined? So we look at that beginning with the question of, okay, if the two become one flesh, has God joined the bodies? And to that, I would say no, because St. Paul talks about the fact that if a man has relations with a prostitute, he becomes one flesh with her. Obviously, God didn't join the bodies of those two. And and so even in marriage, when we look at it, if, if a couple has maintained their chastity prior to being married, uh, they, they you know it's, in other words, it's not a pre-consummated reality here, um, but rather the marriage takes place, and immediately after the couple makes their vows, the priest or the deacon, the bishop, whoever it is that's witnessing the marriage says, what God has joined, let no man put asunder. Now, at that point, the marriage has not been consummated. The two are not one flesh yet, but yet we've already said what God has joined, let no man put asunder. So what did God join? and this again is the primary point in my mind in this book and that is god joined the two souls together it is a spiritual union when we look at the other six sacraments it's very clear that something happens to the soul and we need to be very clear every single person that i asked this question of before i wrote this book of what what does you know what what happens when a couple gets married every person talked about the graces that you get. It's like, yeah, but you get grace when you go to confession. You get grace when you're baptized. You get grace when you're confirmed. You get grace when you're ordained and so on. I said, but something else happens to the soul. I said, there's this indelible mark that happens in baptism and in, in confirmation and in, in ordination. There's the removal of sin from the soul. In, in, in you know, So it's not just grace that's given, but there's actually something that happens to the soul and yet when it comes to marriage it's just this grace that you get that affects your soul it's like no there's got to be something else you know why would god give us this as a sacrament if it's just that he's going to give grace i mean you get grace if you pray a rosary you know and and so so why did he make this a sacrament and it has to have something to do specifically with the soul and what happens to the soul and so so the thesis in this book is that the two souls are united. And it is. I I don't try to explain what kind of union it is. I will let the theologians argue about that. Uh, I simply say it's an accidental union to simply say it's not a substantial union. The Trinity has a substantial union. Uh, The two natures of Jesus are substantially united, but our union with God is an accidental one. Even in heaven, it will be an accidental one, which simply means we don't become God we, we remain who we are we're united with him the same is true in marriage the two become one and yet at the same time you still remain distinct individuals separate and and so so there is a real union that happens is the point that I'm trying to make in this book and and that union is a real spiritual union it is essentially a miracle that 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 God works uh, and and it builds upon the point of of, of the love it's, you know, only God can unite. Only God created your souls. He created the two people to be totally separate, unique individuals. Only God can recreate them then and and make them into one. And, and that's, that's the union that, that takes place. And that's the most important piece in the book, because then everything else follows upon that. If that's true, then the other things follow. And that was the point that I wanted the theologians to look at that was particularly the point I was concerned about with Cardinal Burke looking at to make sure that, that this is something that would be in line with the teaching of the church, and, and because everything else that would, would follow obviously would be false if that piece isn't correct, and that piece was was accepted by the theologians and, and obviously too by the cardinal. And so, so for me, I am totally at peace being able to present that to people and say, here's what God does to your soul at the moment that you get married.
0: It's incredible to think about that reality. And I, I think those that are in very healthy, beautiful marriages, um, which by God's grace, the Lord's blessed me with now, um, can understand that. You know, there are times when I don't know where I end and Dan begins. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I've noted because we travel a lot together, but occasionally he'll travel without me, or I'll go see family if if we have a family event and he's busy and I need to run do something. When we're apart, it doesn't feel right. There's something missing, our rhythm of life, our 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 unity, prayer. our prayer is affected, everything's affected and and it doesn't make that reality less real it's just that we know the absence of the other mm-hmm. and and i immediately was drawn to you know there's a number of widows that i love and and walk through with direction and the pain of the separation mm-hmm. whether it was a perfect marriage or not whether there were difficulties or not that's just such a painful reality because a part of you has been ripped off you know mm-hmm. it's it's been ripped apart and it's missing Um, So what a beautiful thing. So let's carry this into this new creation, the next chapter. um, And and how do we see
2: that? Well, so it it first starts with uh, that point I I was making. It's it's essentially a recreation. Uh, When God unites the two, they become one. So there is now a new creation that was not there. The two people were both there, but the marriage was not there. So there was something, if you will, that was missing in creation that is now fulfilled. And that also is the point then for the two persons. When you look at it and you can say, yes, obviously you, you recognize the, the separation and, and you, you feel that at the same time, there is that radical spiritual union. If your husband was an astronaut and went to the moon, you're thousands of miles apart and yet your souls are still united. And so it has nothing to do with the, the physical proximity in that way. Obviously, that makes a huge difference, but the, the union is still there. And, and so in this new creation, then, we have to understand what our Lord does not say, or what St. Paul does not say, because he says, you have become a new creation in Christ. He does not say you have been restored. This is something entirely new. What Adam and Eve had in the garden Now God has done something even greater. And so what they had was beautiful, but that wasn't restored to us. It's a new creation. It's something even greater. And so, again, everything in the way that the logic of this this book is set out, it builds upon one another. We are made with this dignity. We give one another, a couple gives themselves to one another as a gift in their marriage. It is a gift of love. And it is only that which will fulfill them. You know, in our society, we look for all this fulfillment. If I can just get more pleasure, if I can have more material things, if I can have this and that, then I'll be fulfilled. Well, nothing ever fulfills. Even getting married and using the other person for your own selfish purposes, you're never going to be fulfilled. It's only in that love. And so that love then is what brings about the union and that is what is lived in that new creation. It's a new creation in Christ. In that, we then also recognize that marriage, when you look at St. Paul, there's just that, that passage that, that people hate. It's actually one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. But, you know, wives be submissive to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. And that, that whole passage, and people totally misunderstand it, and they get angry about it. Or they sit at church and when they hear that, the wives elbow their husbands when it says, you know, husbands love your wife and the husband elbows his wife when, when it says be submissive to your husband. That's, it's exactly backwards of what St. Paul is getting at. But objectively speaking, what St. Paul is laying out for us is the way to overcome the effects of original sin. So original sin affected each one of us, but in particular, it affected marriage because it turned the marriage upside down. Again, you look specifically at the punishment to Eve. It's, it's because the women are relational. This was the punishment to Eve. The relationship was flipped. And now your desire will be for your husband. Well, it was supposed to be the other way around. And, and so so the point of truly loving one another because their fault was that they became selfish and so this is how we can turn the effect of original sin and get back to the way it was supposed to be.
1: Flip it on its head and, and, and do even better and greater things than we could have before.
2: Absolutely. And with Our Lady, we can stomp on its head. Amen. Oh, happy fault, I guess, right? So
1: Father Altier, an amazing book, God's Plan for Your Marriage, An Exploration of Holy Matrimony from Genesis to the Wedding Feast of the Lamb, Sophia Institute Press. Make sure you pick that up. And uh, for those who are popping in on the middle of this series, you can find uh, the first show. This is the second of the series. You can find the first show out at spiritualdirection.com, and then uh, the subsequent shows. We're going to do another show and continue talking about the book. Uh, this will change your your life and your marriage, and it will help you uh, launch out on a new marriage and with a foundation that um, that is extraordinary. So. Get the book, and you'll be blessed.
0: Until next time, may the God of peace make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire, spirit, soul, and body, irreproachable at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Learn more about the interior life. Visit spiritualdirection.com. Divine Intimacy Radio is a co-production of EWTN Radio and spiritualdirection.com and heard worldwide on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.